Well, my name is Jen. I'm one of the team here. If you didn't get teaching notes when you came in, if you want to pop your hands up, one of the Connect team will bring those to you so you can follow with us as we go through. Well, I am so excited to be able to share with you this morning on what is week two of our summer series, Summer at the Movies. And I thought I would kick us off by showing you perhaps the most iconic scene from the movie that I have chosen. So take a look at the screen behind me. have sung for a thousand years. The hills fill my heart with the sound of music. My heart wants to sing every song it hears. My heart wants to beat like the wings of the birds that rise from the lake to the trees. My heart wants to sigh like a chime that flies from a church on a breeze. To laugh like a brook when it trips and falls over stones on its way. To sing through the night like a lark who is learning to pray. Well, you will by now have realized that the movie that I've chosen to base my talk on this morning is, of course, The Sound of Music. And just in case you have never had the sheer pleasure and delight of watching this movie from start to finish, here's a quick summary of what the movie is all about. The Sound of Music is a tuneful, heartwarming story based on the real-life story of the Von Trapp family singers, one of the world's best-known concert groups in the era immediately preceding World War II. The woman that you've just seen on the screen is Julie Andrews, who plays the main character, Maria, a young trainee nun at an Austrian abbey who is sent by her mother superior to be a governess in the home of a widowed naval captain with no less than seven children. Maria transforms their family. She brings a new love of life and music into the home and eventually marries the captain. The movie ends with the family fleeing their native Austria so that their father doesn't have to be conscripted by the Nazis. 
And you know, as I watched this movie again in preparation for today, one of the themes that struck me is that this movie really celebrates the, the sheer joy and delight that children bring into our world. In the first part of the movie, it's actually Maria herself who, although becoming a young woman, is still very much perceived as being a child, certainly amongst the other nuns in the, in the abbey who seem to be at their wit's end with the young trainee. Take a look at this next clip. She is gentle, she is wild, she's a riddle, she's a child, she's a headache, she's an angel, she's a girl. How you solve a problem like Maria, how you catch a cloud and pin it down, how you find a word that means Maria, a flippity gibbet, a will of the wisp, a clown. Many a thing you know you'd like to tell her Many a thing she ought to understand But how do you make her stay And listen to all you say How do you keep a wave upon the sand? <laughs> well, Maria's childlike zest for life has certainly got the nuns talking. It's so interesting to see their different reactions. For some, she's a source of joy and laughter in their lives. But for others, she's a headache, she's a nuisance, and she's certainly not suited to the disciplined life that the Abbey requires. And yet Maria transformed a family. And that's what children do. Speak to any parent, I'm sure they will tell you that having children totally turned their world upside down. You know, children disturb our organized adult world, and they'll always bring up to the surface in us some reaction and can be a catalyst for much-needed change in our lives, if indeed we are willing to change. I wonder what reaction children provoke in you. You know, Jesus valued children. When parents brought their children to Jesus for him to bless them and pray for them, Jesus never turned them away. He always made time for them. But Jesus went one step further than that. You see, Jesus didn't just value children. Jesus actually held children up as an example of how we should live as followers of him. When the disciples asked Jesus one day, Jesus, who is the greatest? in your kingdom. Jesus called a little child to him and he said to the disciples, I tell you the truth, unless you turn from your sins and become like little children, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. So anyone who becomes as humble as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. You know, I believe one of our greatest challenges as we mature, not only in years, but even more importantly, as we mature in our faith, is to be able to put behind those childish ways and yet, at the same time, remain childlike. And so today, I want us to look at the sound of music and just draw out two characteristics of being childlike that we see in this movie and to explore what they can teach us 
about how we should live as followers of Jesus. And the first childlike characteristic, and if you're following in your notes, this is your first blank. The first childlike characteristic is that children are ready to listen. You know, Jesus models this. He was constantly listening to what his father told him. And Jesus told the disciples, he said, pay close attention to what you hear. Those who listen to my teaching, more understanding will be given. But for those who are not listening, even what listening they have, even what understanding they have will be taken away from them. To those who listen to my teaching, more understanding will be given. Children are ready to listen. I want you to take a look at this next clip. It's Maria's first night at the Von Trapp family. And the children all run into her room because of a thunderstorm. And in the spirit of being childlike, I just want to say, if you feel like joining in, getting up, dancing, clapping, hey, don't hold back. Why does it do that? Well, the lightning says something to the thunder and the thunder answers back. The lightning must be nasty. <laughs> Not really. Why does the thunder get so angry? It makes me want to cry. Well, now, when anything bothers me and I'm feeling unhappy, I just try and think of nice things. What kind of things? Oh, well, let me see. Nice things. Daffodils. Green meadows. Skies full of stars. Raindrops on roses. And whiskers on kittens, bright copper kettles and warm woolen mittens, brown paper packages tied up with strings. These are a few of my favorite things. <laughs> Cream colored ponies and crisp apple strudels, doorbells and sleigh bells and schnitzel with noodles, wild geese that fly with a moon on their wings. These are a few of my favorite things. <laughs> Girls in white dresses with blue satin sashes Snowflakes that stay on my nose and eyelashes Silver white winters that melt into springs These are a few of my favorite things When the dog bites, when the bee stings When I'm feeling sad I simply remember my favorite things And then I don't feel so Does it really work? Of course it does. You try it. What things do you like? Pussy Willow. Christmas. Bunny Rabbit. No school. People fight. Telegram. Birthday present. Any present. Yes. Baby What? A good sleep. A choke. Gesundheit. What funny news? I just love the simplicity of that scene. You know, one minute the children are afraid and the next minute they've forgotten all about the thunderstorm and they're singing and dancing and having fun for one reason and one reason only, because they listened to what Maria told them and they focused on their favorite things instead of the thunderstorm. And did you know 
that the original version of that song is actually in the Bible. It's actually in the book of Philippians, and it's right under the passage where Paul teaches the Philippian church about how to deal with fear. And he says this, Fix your thoughts on what is true, honorable, right, and pure, and lovely. Think about all the things that are excellent. Think about things that are worthy of praise. Put into practice everything you've learned, everything you've heard from me and saw me do. Then the God of peace will be with you. The God of peace will be with you. Don't you worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he's done. And you will experience God's peace. Thank you. How different would your life be if in the thunderstorms of life you ran to God and you listened to him? You know, that passage makes it sound so simple, doesn't it? Do not be anxious about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need. You know, sometimes we overcomplicate prayer. Prayer is just about talking to God, like you would talk to a close friend. And then it says, thank him. And you see, I think this is the part that we forget. And that's why we get stuck. You see, we go into the presence of God and we tell God our worries and we tell God our worries and we tell God our worries and we tell God our worries. And we come out of the presence of God so wrapped up in those worries still that we haven't received his peace and we haven't received his joy because we forget to thank him. You see, thankfulness produces joy. And it's the joy of the Lord that is our strength. You know, worship is really about focus. What are you focusing on? Are you, are you worshipping your fears or are you worshipping Jesus? We need to tell God what we need and then we need to begin to thank him. Thank you, Father, that you've heard me. Thank you, Father, that you're already working on my behalf. Thank you, Father, that I don't need to worry. And as we do that, we remind ourselves, hey, God is, God is in control. God is on the throne and he is with me and he loves me. But you know, this principle of listening, it's not just for stormy days. It's for every day. You know, as followers of Jesus, we need to get up every day and we need to say, good morning, Father. I just want you to know that I'm listening to you today. I just want you to know that whatever's going on in my life, I'm leaning in and I want to hear your voice, Father God, because I want my life to be centered around you. You see, children are ready to listen. And we too, as God's dearly loved children, need to be ready to listen to the voice of our loving Heavenly Father. The second childlike characteristic 
is that children are ready to be loved and to love. You know, the Bible tells us that God is love. And you are never more like Jesus when you love. One of the things that Maria discovers when she arrives at the Von Trapp household is that the captain, the father, has actually lost connection with his seven children. Not deliberately, perhaps not even consciously, but because of his own pain and grief. You see, his wife had died several years earlier And as the housekeeper explains to Maria on her first night, ever since his wife died, the captain runs the house like one of his ships. It's all about whistles and orders. No more music, no more laughing, nothing that reminds him of his wife. And that includes the children. His response to his pain, a very real pain, a very understandable pain, was to withdraw physically, emotionally. And you know, that is one of the most natural responses to pain, particularly pain in relationships. You know, it's that sense of self-preservation. We don't want to get hurt again. We don't want to get burnt again. But children, oh children. Children are so ready to be loved and to love. And in spite of their father's indifference, the children long for his, infe- his attention and affection. In fact, they confess to Maria that that's one of the reasons why they've been so mean to every other governess that they've had, because they just wanted to get their father's attention. And so Maria comes up with a plan. She decides to teach the children to sing while their father's away, hoping that in some way the captain will notice them for the right reasons and that his heart will be melted. Take a look at this next scene. The captain, their father, arrives home from an extended period away and this time he's brought with him his girlfriend, the Baroness Schrader. And naturally, because it's the first time that she's going to meet the children, the stakes are high. I mean, he really wants to make a good impression, but things (laughs) could not go more wrong. Because the children arrive home from a trip on the lake, they're in a boat, and they're so excited to see their father, they start waving and screaming, and suddenly the boat capsizes, and they all fall in the river. So take a look at this next clip and find out what happens next. Straight line. This is Baroness Schrader. And these are my children. How do you do? All right, go inside. Dry off, clean up, change your clothes, report back here. Immediately. Fraulein, you will stay here, please. I uh, think I'd better go see what Max is up to.
Now, Fraulein. I want a truthful answer from you. Yes, Captain. Is it possible? Or could I have just imagined it? Have my children, by any chance, been climbing trees today? Yes, Captain. I see. And where, may I ask, did they get these, um, these... Plate um... loads. Oh, is that what you call them? I made them. From the drapes that used to hang in my bedroom. Drapes? They still had plenty of wear left. The children have been everywhere in them. Do you mean to tell me that my children have been roaming about Salzburg dressed up in nothing but some old drapes? Mm-hmm. And having a marvelous time. They have uniforms. Oh, straight jackets, if you'll forgive me. I will not forgive you for that. The children cannot do all the things they're supposed to do if they have to worry about spoiling their precious clothes. Yet. Well, they wouldn't dare. They love you too much. They fear you too much. I don't much. wish you to discuss my children in this manner. Well, you've got to hear from someone. You're never home long enough I to said know I them. I don't want to hear any more from you about I my children. I know you don't, but you've got to. Now, take Liesel. You'll not say one word about Liesel. One of these Fräulein. days you're going to wake up and find she's a woman. You won't even know her. And Friedrich, he's a boy, but he wants to be a man like you, and there's no one to show him Don't how. Don't you dare tell me about my son. Brigitte could tell you about him if you'd let her get close to you. She notices everything. And Kurt pretends Fräulein. he's tough not to show how hurt he is when you brush him aside. That will do. The way you do all of them. Louisa, I don't I know about yet, but someone do. has to find out about her, and the little ones just want to be loved. Oh, please, Captain, love them, love them I all. I don't care to hear anything further from you I about my children. I am not finished yet, Oh, Captain. yes, you are, Captain. Fräulein. Now, you will pack your things this minute and return to the Abbey. What's that? It's singing. Yes, I realize it's singing, but who is singing? The children. The children? I taught them something to sing for the Baroness.
told me how enchanting your children are. Don't go away. Fräulein. I behave badly. I'm far too outspoken. It's one of my worst faults. You were right. I don't know my children. There's still time, Captain. They want so much to be close to you. And you brought music back into the house? I'd forgotten. Fräulein. I want you to stay. ask you to stay. If I could be of any help. You have already. More than you know. Such a beautiful scene, isn't it? You know, love can melt the hardest of hearts. And, you know, when we go through pain and disappointments, when we experience those things, it can be difficult for us as adults to really continue to, to be loved and, and to give love. Difficult, yes, but not impossible. Because with God, all things are possible. You know, 13 years ago, my life fell apart when my marriage ended in divorce and I was absolutely devastated. I thought I would never recover from the pain. But you know, the Bible says that God is near to the brokenhearted. And I can tell you that in that time, God drew near, so near. And he loved me through that time and with the help of family and friends and his love, I was able to not only recover from that divorce, but also to go, to go on and to help others that had been through similar situations. But then fast forward to 2013, and it's just a few weeks before I'm about to get married to this lovely man, sat on the front row, my husband John. And suddenly the memory of those things is beginning to rise up on the inside of me and there's a panic that is just taking a hold of my heart. And you know, I just, I just knew I, I have got to get with God and I have got to deal with this. You know, those, those fears, those doubts, were, they were there when I started dating John. But you know, somehow it felt like a risk I could control when I was dating. Because, you know, I just knew at any moment I can get off the bus if I want to. But marriage is different. Because marriage is a commitment you make for the rest of your life. And there were these fears that were just percolating and bubbling up inside of me and really just gripping me. 
And I knew I need to get into the presence of God and deal with this. You see, we have to be so careful in the moments of pain and disappointment in our lives. Because we have an enemy. His name is the devil. You know, the devil is not just a Halloween character. He is real. And his plan is for you to never get over your stuff. You know, this, this panic, this fear, it wasn't about that pain. I'd, I'd recovered from the divorce. What was taking a hold of me now was the fear of what if that happens again? What if John leaves me? What if my, mar- my second marriage falls apart? What if I fail at this thing? You see, the devil can take just one event, one pain, one trauma, one disappointment, and if you let him, he will, he will use it to color the rest of your life. But you know, over the years, as I've walked with Jesus and as I've listened to his voice, I've learned that there is only one response to fear. And that is faith. You see, faith extinguishes fear. The two cannot coexist. And how do we get faith? By listening. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. And so I, was, I need to get into the presence of God. So I went to the gym. That's a place where I often like to spend time with God. I'll have a workout and then I'll sit in the cafe and read my Bible and just talk to God. And at the time, I was actually reading a French Bible. I speak French. And I just opened the Bible to, the, to what many of you will know is a very familiar passage. It's actually Proverbs 3, verses 5 to 6. And it says this, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your path straight. And you know, in French, that, that first sentence, trust in the Lord, the, the word to trust that they used in that, in that Bible was the word confier, which actually means to entrust. And I really felt God just gave me a different understanding of what he means in that passage. He was saying to me, Jen, I don't want you to just trust me. I want you to take yourself and place yourself and your life in my hands and to know that it's going to be okay because you're in my hands and I will take care of you. I can tell you the peace of God descended on me in that cafe and I knew it's going to be okay. It doesn't mean it's been easy. You know, when, when we go through challenges and difficulties, there are things to work through. But you know what I've discovered? There are some things that can only be healed when we take the risk to love again. But you know what? You can face those things now because your foundation is on Jesus. You see, my trust is not in John. He is a wonderful man and I love him. But my trust is not in him. My trust is in Jesus. And it was that truth, that anchor that enabled me to walk down the aisle four years ago and say I do to him and continue to live out the promise 
of that I do each and every day of my life. Can I invite the band to come? You know, I believe that there's some of you, you really need to hear this today. Some of you, you're going to get set free today. Because God did not call you to lead, to lead a safe, cosseted little life. He's called us to live a daring life, a courageous life, a life of risk where we're willing to take risks for his kingdom. And you know what? One, sometimes one of the, the most courageous things that you can do is to get back up after you've been wounded, after you've been hurt, after you've been rejected and abandoned to get back up and say, you know what? Because I know that Jesus loves me, I will continue to be loved and to loved for the rest of my life. And I will share His love wherever I go. And I will use the pain and the, and the challenges that I experience to help others understand how they can know the love of Jesus, the same love of Jesus, so that, so that they too can be set free and as Rhiannon shared, so that they too can find a place here because there's still room. Church, I want to challenge you this morning. We have not got time to be hanging on to our pain. There is a world out there that needs to hear and receive the love of Jesus. And you know what? We need to be conduits for that. And the way we do that is by first receiving His love knowing that we, are, that we are loved, that we are treasured, that we are held in the arms of a loving Father. And that we're able to give out that love. It flows out of us onto the lives of others. Trust in the Lord from the bottom of your heart. Don't try to figure everything out on your own. Listen for God's voice in everything you do, everywhere you go. He's the one who will keep you on track. Let's stand in the presence of God. We're going to sing a final song and I want you to make the most of this moment because Jesus is here. This could be a tipping point moment for you. This could be a life-changing moment for you. The next few minutes could be a life-changing moment for you for, for the rest of your life. And actually, hundreds and thousands of people could be impacted because of your testimony. So as we sing this last song, I don't want you to just sing the words. I want, I want you to lean in and like you've never leaned in before to hear the voice of God and ask Him, God, what are you saying to me? What does my response need to be